Hey, folks, Tom and Keith, and we want to send a big shout-out to the Dunlap Champions Club, which has been the sponsor of Front Row Knowles podcast for some time now. Hopefully during the 2017 season, you got a chance to sample it. I know on the field, the season may not have gone the way you wanted, but uh, off the field, the experience remained top shelf inside the Dunlap Champions Club. Without question, the, the ability to go to a ball game, to, to be inside when it's hot, to have refreshments, food, drink, those types of things. And you and I both, Tom, have talked about, uh, particularly during this semester, school semester, We've been in there for other functions, and certainly many of our listeners uh, should have the opportunity and will have the opportunity to be there for other than football games. If you're a member, you've got that opportunity on Friday nights prior to the game. You can do things on Sunday. It's uh, obviously attached to the University Center Club. Uh, it's a great all-around venue for anything that's going on during the weekend. It was built with 365 days a year function space or functions in mind. I'll, I'll remind you that uh, next year, 2018, Seven home games on the schedule, including Virginia Tech, Florida, and Clemson. Plant that little seed. Now, if you want more info, go to fsuclubseats.com or fsuchampionsclub.com. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody, and Tom Block, Keith Jones back with you. KJ, I'm not sure uh, what the odds said, but uh, we have returned for the start of another year, or did you have it with snow in Tallahassee, a better probability? Uh, yes. Exactly. Happy New Year to you. Same to you. Uh, let's see. how, how uh, the, the kids are saying um, uh, 20 great 18. It's it, going to be a 20 great 18. If you want to. Or a great team. If you want to. If you want to. I feel very discombobulated. This is uh, Jeff. I'm actually in Jeff Cameron's driver's seat right now, I think. I'm when looking they at you seven glass, headlines. and you don't look any better. Keith and I have never done this show like this. We're actually separated here. I'm trying to dodge you in between the, the arm of the microphone here. You don't look good with one eye shut or both open. Thank you. When last uh, we were together, KJ, it was actually warmer than it is outside today. That is a fact. Even though it was pretty doggone cold at the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, and uh, literally they were turning the lights out on us as we finished up with that post game but uh not, not as not as not as eventful as trying to get the cab on the way home however <laughs> yes well that made it a little colder uh little tip here in case shreveport was on your bucket list which i doubt that it is uh it's not an uber town so we actually waited i don't i don't have lift on my phone and i was too stubborn to get it so anyway bottom line keith and i froze to death waiting on a cab to pick by, us up by the largest flagpole i've seen in a long long time we, we digress all right so here's what's coming up we got a big basketball game tonight our seminoles.com insider tim linnefelt will join us in a little bit associate head coach Stan Jones will join us. We'll talk Carolina, but we will also talk about his efforts to promote literacy, which is an interesting story. Good story uh, covering that uh, by Wayne McGahee and the Tallahassee Democrat today as well. KJ, uh, you actually went from Shreveport to Raleigh-Durham for the Duke game, which was a very entertaining basketball game. Unlike football, though, where we can uh, look back and pine and think about it, basketball is the sport where you just have to quickly turn the page and uh, put, you your head, put your head down and keep walking. Yeah, that, that said, it was a little uh, frustrating the way that thing finished up. I didn't watch it. Just real quick on this because I was watching it with family around and my son and my father-in-law, so I wasn't watching it from start to finish paying attention to how solid the officiating was, and I realized they finished with just two officials. Uh, what'd you think about the, the sequence at the end where there was an offensive foul and then no foul call on C.J. Walker's layup as they finished up? I, I thought both of those obviously would have benefited from a third official. Dumb statement. Uh, but, uh, you know, when, when a guy breaks his foot I don't think you can put him in a wheelchair and ask him to run up and down the hard court. So uh, they had legitimacy for going with two officials. But I think if the third official had been there, then the calls would have been different. I'm not about to tell you that that would have made up for the seven-point differential. I don't know that Florida State would have come away victorious in that ball game, But I do think the score would have been much closer. And as a result, people who watched the game, I think, realized that FSU went toe-to-toe with Duke. And, uh, you know, a couple of things happened that you, you've never seen before. Number one is Phil Kofer just play out of his mind. Right. And he's done that in in pieces, even going all the, way, all the way back to his freshman year. But he had a phenomenal game, particularly shooting the ball from distance. And then Bagley uh, has the first 30-20 game by an ACC freshman in, in conference history. And let me tell you, 
you seem I was not up close and personal because we were we were not in the crow's nest, but we were in the in the if you will the corner of the end zone up high. Right. Uh, but seeing this kid in person, even from that distance, uh, this is this is a man amongst boys. Yeah, and, and he's, he, he's he can a, play. He's he can a, play. He's a tremendous talent. But that exposed. I mean, that's the area where Florida State is not going to match up well all year unless. Kamaji comes back. Otherwise, it's a big void. When you play teams that have talented bigs, Florida State's going to have struggled to get boards, and that's what they did. How about this? First time in his career, we 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 didn't obviously didn't interview Coach Shashevsky, so could not ask him specifically. But in talking with the Duke radio crew and talking talking with some of the lower level sports information people, first time in Duke history that Coach K has started four freshmen, other than when people were hurt. Somebody reminded me there was a time 15 years ago right. when two starters were out and he had to play freshman. But four freshmen starting for Duke uh, for Coach K in that ball game. Well, that'll probably happen again with all the one and dones that they get. And uh, I'm not going to feel too sorry for him because the freshmen he's starting are all going to be starting in the NBA next year. And that's just the way it works, the way they recruit there. All right, so the Carolina game is coming up. We'll we'll talk to, to Tim Linnefelt and Stan about that. College football playoff, obviously, uh, we're to the national championship game. We've got some Florida State football to talk. I don't want to get into a whole, uh, you know, should we expand the playoff debate, Keith? But I was I was trying to process what frustrates me the most about the current system. This was on my drive back from New Orleans this week while I was trying to tune out the kids and the noise in the car. I was just trying to process it. And I don't think it's the number of teams in the playoff, even though I've been an advocate for expanding it. I think it's the human element of how the teams are selected. And... I guess what I'm saying is I, I wouldn't be opposed to going back to the BCS formula to rank the teams, even if you were going to stay at four. I just hate at the end of the day that it's a beauty contest, and that's how we determine whether, in fact, Alabama should have been the fourth team or Ohio State should have been or somebody else. So you're assuming that that's what the process was that the committee did to arrive at that, and I'm on the exact opposite. I think they did everything quantitatively just right, and they got it just right. So we're, we're diametrically on opposite ends of how they arrived at it. You're calling it a beauty contest. I think they have a wealth of qualitative, uh, quantitative information but that they go through. They do have a wealth of information, but they don't specify any curriculum. In the NFL, there's a playoff tiebreaker. Here's what it is. You're both 9 and 7. We go through. It's A. It's B. It's total points. It's, at least we know what the, what the formula is. All right. Here, well, let's go six conf- or four conferences with 16 teams in each conference, and we can get to that. But until you get to that, you are never going to be able to eliminate some form of human element. There's always going to – well, to me, the human element should come in as the last tiebreaker, which is what they have in the NFL. At the end of the day, it's a coin toss if everything else is equal and there's like eight things before it. But here what we have – and it, it continues from year to year. And this is not a knock on Alabama is clearly a team that's good enough to win a national title, just as Georgia is, just as Ohio State would have been if they would have been in the playoff uh, or whoever else. You know, there's six or eight or ten teams probably. I just don't like the fact that we don't know what the rules are every year. They just give us four teams and then they fit their argument around those four teams instead of defining the criteria in advance. You keep going down that conspiracy theory trail. It, no, it's not a conspiracy theory. I don't I don't I mean Alabama gets the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I guess How they, about we do this? I guess they've earned that. They're the uh, winningest uh, program in in the uh, decade of the teens. So we'll let that be a quantitative thing. Well, if that was in the formula, then we'd know. If How all do th- we know it wasn't? If, that's, that's my point. Let's but be so transparent. It, so it might have been quantitative. It, it, let's be transparent about it, though. No, I mean, I'm not telling my secrets. No. <laughs> so you like this? You like every year? See, I don't get this. People say that if you expand the playoff, it'll ruin the regular season. I don't buy that not one bit. Oh, I, don't I, I don't buy that not one bit. That are, and fact, then, I would argue it enhances the regular season because now you're, if you went to five champions automatically getting in and three at large – i.e. going to eight, right. then the regular season obviously has huge win – you, win your conference and you're in. You don't have to worry about anything. So right. I, that, that's the argument that it's – Well, and that's, that's where I would be in favor of. And without getting into how you make eight work, I think it needs to get to eight at the very least six – I would say eight, and you. If you're gonna, if we're gonna continue the facade of having 130 teams that play at the same level, but 65 of them are power five, and the others are group of five, if we're gonna continue that, then you need to get to eight teams and give the top group of five team an automatic entry. Like so, UCF would have been in it this year. How about the fact? But but, but the better ha- how about solution. The fact they're hanging a national championship banner. I know. Well, that's another topic. That is just. 
silly. Hey, anyway, go ahead. I, well, I mean, Alabama's, you know, a couple of theirs in the early days were not really recognized. If you look on Wikipedia, Florida State's got like five or six if we want to. I think, I think your team was recognized as a national champ by somebody. It may have been below before the bowl game. We want to trot that out and paint 1980 up there in the stadium too? No. I, that just, would be silly as well. Yeah. I, I, but to me, I, and I don't know how we're ever going to get there, but if we're going to keep playing this game with 130 teams in it, then we need to give them some access, or we need to just cut them out altogether and say, here's the five conferences and the 64 no, teams, like you no, said. Oh, no. We let them have their own playoff program. Well, they can do that. They can do that. I would be 100% for that. Yeah. I, I just, it, it, I am hopeful that the way this turned out this year might lead to some change or more conversation about change. I think it's a question of steps. They, 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 they finally oh, they always went to do it. And now we don't, we're not going to do eight. We're not going to do eight. We're not going to do eight. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe we ought to do eight. And I don't think it'll wait till 2026 or whenever the contracts are up. I think it'll be sooner as opposed to later. And I think issues like this will hearken it and make it come faster. Yeah, so that, that part I'm pleased about. Yep. But, yep. yeah, I think they'll go halfway first. It's like this early signing day. Well, I guess we should have an early signing day. Let's put it in December where it doesn't change anything instead of actually making a, a change to it. So, I mean, they'll, they'll go – Baby steps first. Anyway, oh, I'm I'm breaking now. I this just was that a up. glass? What did you do? That was Keith that did that, ladies and gentlemen. That was not me. That was Keith. Well, we could blame Tim. I'm not sure. I'll probably get a bill from uh, 97.9 when we're done with the show for whatever this is. All right, we'll get to our <laughs> Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld right after this. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. The uh, New Year's edition of Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ. And as we fire up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, I'll remind you the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. We say hello for the first time this year to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Tim, Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Happy New Year to you, too. It is uh, a big night for basketball, obviously, but uh, I did think it was interesting that we saw snow in Tallahassee today before we saw the Gators in a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right about that. Uh, it was kind of funny. I mean, you've been in Tallahassee for uh, a little while. I guess the last time it snowed, you know, like in earnest, I think they said it was 1989. I was living here, but I don't really remember very Christmas much Day. But, uh, is that right? Is that what Christmas it was? Day, I believe. Okay. So, so I was thinking, you know, if we're on a once every 30 year schedule, you know, we want to take a few pictures and videos. It's going to be a little while. But, uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, well, it was cool, and uh, you know, it gave us an extra day off. Some of us, anyway, got the kids yeah, home at least at least until uh, at least until this evening. And, and you know, we don't spend all day talking about this, but you know, I walked outside at first, and it was sort of like. You know, it was sort of more rain than snow, but you sort of, like, convinced yourself in your mind, like, all right, all right, this counts, we're going to take it. Uh, but then, like, you know, 10 or 20 minutes later, you got, like, the real deal in earnest. Oh, man, this is uh, more than I expected. So, yeah, a little little bit of uh, a fun thing for our winter here in Tallahassee. Yeah, we were tubing in front of my house this morning, Tim, so I mean, really? It, it really dumped on us there, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, uh, before basketball, the, uh, the big football news here, I guess, is that uh, Ryan Izzo has announced that he's turning pro. I think when we quizzed you on guys who may or may not go Izzo was a name we didn't talk about but obviously he's he's had a very solid career as a tight end and if you consider that he probably had a pretty good attachment to Tim Brewster who's no longer on staff I, I don't know that we can really fault Izzo where does he project or what's your thoughts on that well uh, that's a good question as far as projection I mean I I really don't know uh in terms of, of rounds I suspect he probably will be drafted he seems like a guy you know when you look at him physically he looks like a guy who could play tight end in the NFL. Um, he's 6'5", 245, has been productive. I don't know that he was ever overwhelming, uh, but, but a lot of that, I think, had to do with sort of what Florida State's offense is doing and what they were asking him to do. I think from his perspective, I'm probably thinking, you know, he could come back um, and, and maybe put up better numbers, uh, but maybe not. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, his body, you know, he had a redshirt year, so he's, he's, I mean, he's an adult. He's, he's developed and, and probably ready to go and, and if you uh, you said Tim Brewster no longer being in the mix, and if you look at the new offense, do you do you, do you want to learn a new offense? Um, do you fit into that new offense? Uh, and you know, those are those are kind of all questions. Well, and and based on what I remember from Florida State's game against USF when Taggart was the coach, they didn't use a tight end, right? So I don't right. I don't know that he would have had an opportunity next year uh, of any right. significance. 
So, no, I, I agree with you. It's, uh, it, it's hard to fault him. I think it, at first when I saw the news or started to hear the news, I was a little bit surprised because, like you said, he, he maybe wasn't the most obvious candidate. But the more you think about it, the more I think it kind of makes sense. Yeah, had he come back, he would have gone down as the second most prolific tight end in Florida State history, only behind Nick O'Leary. If just you know, if, even if he just had similar numbers to this year, he was going to finish second in touchdown uh, receptions by a tight end and and overall receptions by a tight end. We don't know about Auden Tate as we talk, do we? No, no. I suspect we'll hear some more about some different guys this week. Uh, but no, it's been awfully kind of you know kind of quiet on that front, which has surprised me a little bit. I thought we'd know a little bit more by now, but uh, you know, guys are sort of waiting and. You know, it's a, it's a little different whenever there's a, a coaching change and a staff change. And, uh, you know, there's still, well, the Tigers still uh, looking to fill some assistant coaches. And so I think a lot of guys are probably waiting until they get a little bit more information uh, before they make a decision. They still do have some time, so uh, it's not a, not a huge, huge rush. Uh, but there's a lot of variables at play right now compared to, you know, a typical year where you, you kind of know what you have and you either you know, decide you want one more year or you don't. Well, this may be wishful thinking uh, and trying to will it to happen on my part. But to me, you look at the new offense and – Ryan Izzo's numbers would have decreased. Auden Tate's got a chance for his numbers to really blow up based on what they do, especially in terms of deep ball and the yards per catch and all that. So, again, I'm trying to will this to happen, but would, would you think that's a fair statement, Tim? Oh, gosh, yeah, 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 absolutely. I, you know, I thought what he did, you know, look, it wasn't the, uh, the, the full-on Willie Taggart offense and the independent full, not even close, but I think if you watch that game, you could tell that they, they weren't doing everything exactly the way they were throughout the 2017 season either in, in terms of uh, speed and and throwing things downfield, and, and you know, Auden Tate definitely stands to benefit from that. Uh, you know, the question is, and the one he's going to have to weigh is, you know, he had an, an outstanding game in that independent bowl. Do you do you want to sort of stand on that, so to speak, when you're when you're trying to make your case to professional teams, or do you think you can improve on it? I think there's no doubt that he can improve on it over a full season and, and a full body of work. However, if, if you were going to go out. Uh, on a game in your junior year, it's hard to ask for a better one than, than the one he had. Well, and let's remember, he, he was injured with two different and two separate injuries during 2017 as well. So you come back, you're facing the, the prospect of that um, uh, raising its ugly head again. Before we leave, guys, one quick comment. I'd be interested in Tim's uh, take on this as well. How about the job that the quote-unquote lame duck coaching staff members did? Uh, I, I was unbelievably impressed with Kelly and, and Lawing and Miller and 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 uh, Lawrence. Uh, I thought I thought that team played for those guys, and the game plan was put together properly. I mean, they they showed some true professionalism, my opinion. Yeah, they they, uh, they really did, and it, it's a credit to those guys. Uh, especially, you know, it had to be really disappointing uh, when they found out that they wouldn't be retained. I think that's that's pretty hard news to hear, and, and you know, we know some guys are moving on and. Some other guys have some things lined up, and I expect it'll probably be announced before too, too terribly long. But I mean, look, you know, coaches work really, really hard, no matter how you slice, no matter what the results are. You don't get to be uh, a, a power five assistant football coach, and especially at a place like Florida State, unless you sacrifice uh, a lot of yourself. And so that to find out that that, you know, that that's no longer going to be a thing for you anymore, that that you're no longer going to be at the place where you think it's the relationship that they have with their players. I think we've we've known for a long time that that. Charles Kelly was really just beloved by his guys, by his defenders. Uh, you know, one of maybe one of the most popular guys, popular assistant coaches that we've seen in quite some time. They really, really loved him. Uh, and, you know, I think same goes for for Lawrence Dossie, a, a guy who you know, was played here. You know what Florida State means to him, so that had to be hard to hear uh, that he wouldn't be you know, returning as a receivers coach. Uh, Rick Trick has been here for as long as anybody on staff has put a lot into it. Nah, I think that's tough, but you know they. Like they, they, you said, they, it was it was professional. You know, the guys who were tasked with recruiting went out and recruited for Florida State. Uh, they did everything the right way, and and it, no, I don't know how else to say it. It's just a true credit to those guys. And you saw how much it meant to the players. <clears throat> Excuse me, you know, Tom. I don't know if you noticed when we were on the sideline at the end of the Independence Bowl, like uh, like guys. There was like a group of maybe five or six guys that were like sort of going around finding coaches to give uh, give ice baths. He's like, all right, we got. We got Coach Dossie, and they're like, all right, Coach Kelly, Coach Kelly, he's, he's over here. So the guy's like looking around, they're, they're prowling around looking for a first assistant coach. All right, there he is. And grab another uh, another Powerade cooler and, and give him one, too. It, was, uh, it really was kind of a special thing to see and, you know, a difficult moment for a lot of guys that will be moving on. But in, in that specific moment, you could tell that, that there was a, a lot of happiness and a lot of joy. I, I was in the, the sauna at that point thawing so I, I, <laughs> I didn't notice all that. Uh, you know, I don't know what the final stat ended up being, but at one point, 
you know, teams who were going through coaching transitions were one and five in bowl games. Then I think Mississippi State won, so it got the two and five. I don't know what the total tally was, but the bottom line, generally, if you're changing coaches, you're thinking it's a rebuild. And if you look at Florida State, and obviously people who listen to this show are aware of the talent that's on this team and the energy that's, that's gone with Coach Taggart coming in. To me, if, if you ask the question of all those teams that went through coaching transition, are they closer to another six and six regular season or are they closer to winning their conference? Maybe FSU is the only school where I know my answer would be they're closer to winning the conference than going six and six again. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, particularly if you know you get some of the guys back that, that you want to get back, uh, especially on offense. I think they will be better with uh, with Auden Tate and Jacquez Patrick uh, if that can happen. But yeah, no, I, I think they probably are closer to winning the conference. But I, you know, I also look at that schedule next year and think, man, that thing's going to be kind of a bear too. You know, with Virginia Tech on a Monday night. Uh, Clemson here, going down to Miami. Suspect they'll be good again. Uh, the the schedules for Florida State the last few years uh, going to Louisville. I forgot about that one. The schedules for Florida State the last few years, and maybe this just speaks to the ACC. Uh, they've been really difficult. Uh, they've been really challenging. Not to, not to you know to uh, put a damper on the uh, on the party because I agree with you that I think that Florida State's in much better position than a lot of schools that are making a coaching change. You can uh, look back look down to Gainesville for example that, but uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge. I do think there is going to have to be some rebuilding and, and, and some changes that take place. I mean, you're not just going to go out and do the exact same thing you did. Sometimes those transitions in philosophy and scheme and whatever else can take some time. Uh, but absolutely, there are scenarios where if everything breaks right for Florida State, uh, they can win that conference uh, very easily. And, I, and no matter what happens, I don't think they're in front of the Yeah, maybe the better question is, are they closer to six wins or ten wins You know, with this team? Maybe that's a better yeah. way to phrase that. I are think they, ten is, is, is very much the answer. Yeah, let, let's talk uh, basketball because, uh, again, and this has been a recurring theme, which is a shame because Leonard's team has been really good this year, and the football transition and everything that's gone with it has uh, sort of overshadowed everything. But th- this is a big, big game tonight against North Carolina, uh, and, and Florida State is coming off a game where they played really well against Duke. So how do you see this matchup this evening? Well, I agree with you. Uh, it, it's an interesting uh, time for Florida State because their record's really good. They're still ranked. They came away feeling about as good about a loss as you can feel. Obviously, a difficult loss, but they, they were happy with the way they played, I think, for the most part, save for some rebounding. Uh, but at the, same, at the same time, you're in the midst of a five-game stretch here between Duke, North Carolina, Miami, Louisville, and Syracuse. You could theoretically play really well in all, in all five of those games and theoretically lose all five of them and at that point doesn't matter how you play because you're 0-5 no I don't think that's going to happen uh, particularly when you see the way uh, you know Louisville hasn't exactly uh, they, they haven't, haven't figured things out yet with their uh, their staff transition uh, but the point being that in the ACC it, playing well is great but you got to win some games uh, and I think tonight is uh, probably a little bit of a sense of urgency like there's no shame if, if Florida State weren't to lose tonight being 0-2 with losses to Duke and North Carolina you know you're alright you're going to be okay probably it doesn't necessarily mean bad things going forward, but it's a, a huge opportunity to get a win, to beat a ranked team, uh, to even up your record in the ACC. And, and, I, and I think the team is plenty confident, but there's no doubt that you'd get a confidence boost uh, playing against North Carolina and beating them. And, you know, I kind of think this might be a pretty good time to play North Carolina early in the season. You know, they, uh, they're, I mean, they're still ranked, they still have a good record, but they haven't been uh, maybe as good or as dominant as we sometimes expect them to be. I think they're going through some transition with some new pieces. Uh, and they're trying out some different lineups that they normally wouldn't. Uh, I would suspect they're probably going to have whatever issues sorted out by March. But uh, but early January, maybe they don't have those issues sorted out. And if you can put them in an uncomfortable position on the road, uh, get a good crowd behind them, and, and maybe make them feel a little bit uncomfortable, uh, that could be a game that Florida State can win. Well, and I think they match up better against Carolina than they do against Duke for two reasons. Number one, Duke comes with those two twin tower freshmen, and then that point guard that's just off the charts. Well, uh, North Carolina is a little more of a traditional team. They got one big in the middle, and then they got a wing player, and they got a guard. And plus, you've seen these guys; you've played against them. You know what they can do, uh, as opposed to playing against Duke's freshmen for the first time. So, I, I like the matchup. I like the way it sets up, and I like uh, Florida State's opportunity tonight. I know. I, I agree with you. I really do too. Um, especially, uh, you mentioned the inside game, uh, Duke with those two guys. I mean, Marvin Bagley; he's just he's just unbelievable. Uh, Carolina's talented as they are. I don't think they have anybody quite like that. Uh, and so, yeah, to me, it just kind of comes down to, you know, can Florida State keep playing uh, at, at a high level the way that they have? Um, and, and if they do, I, you know, the, the way I saw it after that Duke team, they played that way. I mean, they, you know, the, the rebounding, I think, is frustrating. But everything else, uh, you had to be pretty pleased. I mean, you scored 93 points at Cameron Indoor Stadium. That's, uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. If you play that way for the rest of the season, you're going to win far more than you lose. And you're capable of beating 
just about anybody. I thought the most impressive thing against about the Duke game was that Duke went on runs three or four times where they could have finished FSU, and 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 the Knowles came back every time, save for the at, at the last two minutes. Of the I, game. I even said that during the broadcast. I mean, to I, me, I, that was the most impressive thing about I, the way I they was game. reminding Deckerhoff, you know, they're going to come at you three or four times. You just got to survive them. I mean, what was it, a thirteen or fourteen zero run, and then next thing you know, FSU's got the lead again. Well, so. it, took, it took a nine zero run at the end of the ball game to win it. Yeah, yeah. Well, All right. Well, how many times have you seen that go the other way uh, up there? You know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, there's a lot of positives to take away from that game, no question. All right, so are the men going to do to North Carolina what the women did on Sunday? Because that was just a beatdown. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to beat them uh, that soundly, but yeah, you're right. That uh, that was pretty impressive, and, and, and yeah, man, that's uh, that's an impressive team, too, that we haven't had as much chance to talk about, but they look like they're putting things together uh, and on the verge of, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a special season. It's kind of become the norm around here, hasn't it? For Coach Sue, it certainly has. The expectation has. is high. There's no question. Yeah, eight three-pointers for Monty Wright the other night. That was uh, not too shabby. Co-player of the week. No, in the not exactly. All right, Tim, we will uh, catch you at the Tuck tonight. I'll be there, guys. All right, tip-off coming up shortly. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Appreciate it, as always. We'll uh, continue the round ball theme uh, when we roll on on this New Year's edition of Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. <laughs> Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles. Big night uh, for Florida State. Big game tonight at the Tuck as the Tar Heels are in town. And as we go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, we say hello to uh, a friend of the program, Stan Jones, associate head coach. Obviously, he's been with Leonard for a long time. Coach, how are you? Doing well today. Happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year to you. And, uh, I, you know, before we talk X's and O's on this, and we appreciate a few minutes of your time, I know it's uh, obviously busy and uh, every every minute counts when you get into the season here and you're counting down to tip-off. Uh, I, I wanted to have you on to, to talk a little bit about this fight for literacy game tonight, which which not everybody may be aware of, but uh, you've been a big proponent, a big advocate, and, and out in front on this. Uh, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your interest, your motivation, and, and what exactly you're, you're trying to do tonight. Well, we are uh, trying to initiate for the next three or four games, uh, getting people to donate online for every assist we get, a certain amount of money that will go to the Early Learning Coalition in Tallahassee to provide books for underprivileged kids. And uh, we've been doing that for the last two years, and uh, it's gotten bigger each year, and I hope it gets bigger uh, between now and next uh, Saturday when the uh, Louisville game. You're passionate about this, though. Where does that stem from, Stan? Well, it's, uh, you know, reading, I'm, I'm, you, you've been by my office in the, in the, in the uh, practice facility, and uh, I've always been a big reader. Uh, my parents instilled uh, a desire and a, a passion for me to read, and uh, they always talked about uh, how that's going to be a key to your success going forward. So it became a habit of mine. And then uh, uh, the people who started uh, the Coaching for Literacy campaign and the Fight for Literacy are, are, are from my hometown of Memphis. And uh, when they brought it to me, and I saw who the people were. I saw how the uh, the organization was being managed and put together. Uh, there was no question. I, I felt very comfortable on putting my name behind it and trying to help because they're doing some really good things the right way. Stan, you're, you're tying some of this fundraising to assist, which is one player helping another player score. I, I, I've seen it happen a couple of times. I know you don't talk about it uh, for, for personal reasons, but uh, you, you've been known to hand a book out or two to a player every now and then when uh, you've come across something that you thought would be beneficial to them. You'll, uh, you'll lend uh, some of your uh, library to them. Yeah, and, you know, we, have, we have a lot of student uh, managers and student staff uh, that are trying to get into coaching and those things, and uh, I'll, uh, I'll really talk to them a lot and try to encourage them during their time at our program to get involved uh, with leadership development and uh, success uh, backgrounds, and even in the things of business and uh, you know, and things not just not just in the coaching world. Well, maybe we can get all of them to read as much as Michael Bradley does. What do you, what do you think? Might that be our <laughs> our goal? And Michael, Michael does do a lot of reading. I give him, you know, he's, a, he's a smart guy. <laughs> when Coach Bowden was here, you know, his genre was always military history and uh, World War II in particular. But but great military leaders and generals and whatnot. Do you have a particular genre that uh, that, that that's your favorite, Stan? You know, I'm really really pretty diverse. I, you know, I do a lot of leadership reading, a lot of uh, of coaching, 
you know, one thing I found, uh, and there's sports different than ours, but a lot of the, the football coaches who write books, they have great books about organization, uh, team management, uh, and those things. So I end up reading a lot of those. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big John Grisham fan. I'll read a novel every so often, and, uh, and I'll do a little history and some things that are uh, areas that uh, are interesting to me. I, I just got through with Rooster Bar. If you need it, I can loan it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw you reading that on one of the trips. You, you're exactly right. You did. All right, Stan, uh, obvious segue here. What's the book on Carolina tonight and how you beat them? Well, you know, Roy uh, is basically the uh, the godson of Dean Smith. I mean, it's, you know, if you did a scouting report on Dean Smith 25 years ago, it's still the same formula. They got uh, they got bigs that are going to crash the glass. They got a big that's going to be featured on the low post. They got a point guard that's going to drive the engine. They got athletic wings that uh, are going to get out and run in transition. So they provide a lot of... Uh, a lot of components that we've got to do a great job on. We got to take something away from them, and we got to do a great job tonight on uh, on limiting them in those three areas. I, Stan, I know there was a little bit of disappointment on the effort at Duke on the boards. What what have you been talking to the kids the last couple three days of practice, and what are you focused on tonight relative to rebounds? Well, you know, Keith, one one thing I learned when I was coaching in high school was uh, um, sometimes you can everybody think you're not doing things right, uh, but. There was a whole lot of times we actually had established pretty good blockout position in the Duke game, and you know, especially Marvin Bagley and, and Wendell Carter, those are going to be top ten picks in the draft. And there's a reason they're they're special guys. They have bounce, they have length, you know, and they just made some plays based on their their physique and their athleticism. And uh, the one thing about Carolina is they don't have a Bagley or, or a uh, or a Carter, but they have a Luke May who's going to be more of a uh, a wedge rebounder and using strength and girth. Uh, but he also brings a dynamic that he can stretch you out to the three-point line. So uh, he's a little bit different dynamic, and he's uh, averaging a double-double. So we have uh, we we worked on a couple schemes, and uh, uh, I think our guys have been up to the challenge because uh, you know, what anybody want to say that game on Saturday, if you're a college basketball fan, was a fantastic basketball game to watch. There's no question. There's no question. Uh, obviously, one of the other things, and, and this is textbook uh, Williams, and going back to Dean Smith, but uh, you know the fast break. You you got to get back on defense against these guys. And you got to do that, and you got to do a really good job of managing uh, Joel Berry as the head of the snake for them as the point guard. You you can't let him get get uh, catching the ball on the run toward their basket early on the outlet, whether it's a make or a miss. You got to try to uh, slow his direct advance of the ball down, and then you got to do a good job because he's he's one of the uh, different point guards that Roy's had since we played against Roy. That you know, he'll take you rim to rim and score on you. You know, usually you had a Kendall Marshall or a Ty Lawson that were they were always trying to set up other people. Well, Joel's probably their number one option, uh, even though he's their second-league scorer right now and everything that they do. So we, we, uh, uh, our defensive position that we call the bandits got to do a really good job of, of stealing a little bit of time from him. One other thing, Stan, and we, we don't have a whiteboard and we're on radio, not television, but uh, real quickly just for our listeners, talk a little bit of what, what is known as this, the secondary break that Carolina has. Well, secondary break is a um, you know, they're, they're going to run certain spots. Everybody's got their spots in the primary transition. And once they exhaust that, whether they can get to the rim or shoot a three or throw it in the post, uh, they're going to run a uh, an offensive action uh, from those spots, usually reversing it through the last man down that most people call the trail position. So you'll see Luke May in that spot a lot, and he'll be the decision maker on if, well, if they swing the ball, if they go to a ball screen, um, or if they bring it back to the strong side. And, uh, and they'll run a lot of back screen from one of the perimeter players' actions to bring him into the post. Stan, you've been at this a long time. I want to broaden it beyond tonight's game a little bit. And you've worked with countless guys who, uh, you know, were projects maybe. And that, that might be too strong a term. But but guys who got so much better throughout the course of their career. Like an Al Thornton. Uh, I mean, even even Tony Douglas as he progressed. I know Fiondo's just a year in. But, I mean, he's light years above where he was last year. But I'm curious... Uh, Phil Kofer, for him to be doing what he's doing, and I know he's battled injuries, and maybe that's more to the story than in terms of his growth, but what kind of pride is there for you to see somebody like him that has battled injuries to, to be contributing the way he is right now? Well, you know, Phil is a, is a tremendous part of our program. He uh, uh, he is a leader. He's an energy giver. Uh, he also, you know, he's had the injuries, but you know he's had some difficulties with some health issues in his family. And uh, that, that makes it very stressful for a young man his age. Uh, and for him to stick in there, and once he got healthy, really be committed to putting the work uh, to get his game tight. And uh, he was very, very committed in the offseason. He gained a lot of confidence on a little trip down to Jamaica in August, getting back in the swing of things. 
and uh, he has really uh, uh, provided a uh, a much needed inter- uh, offensive boost. As he's always given his defense a rebound, but him uh, becoming a consistent offensive uh, threat has uh, really made our offense be more efficient. Stan, you you and Leonard and company have been here 16 years now. Uh, is it a fair statement that this might be the best chemistry amongst a group? Or am, am I missing a group maybe that was better? But th- this this group really appears to have a lot of the intangibles uh, in terms of work ethic and, and camaraderie. You are, you're, that's a great evaluation by you. Uh, these guys, uh, since uh, we finished last season, have been eager. They've been uh, excited. They've been willing, uh, and they've uh, been together, uh, pushing each other, working with each other. You know, we've had a lot of guys in the past that come work by themselves. But these guys come in and, uh, and, and work in groups together. They come to challenge each other. And then they have fun off the court. And I hope uh, our Seminole faithful fans, uh, I know it's cold outside and everything, but it'll get, get behind these guys to get the conference play. You know, we got the, the third longest home winning streak in college basketball right now. Our kids take great pride in playing at home. They're fun to watch. I think they proved on Saturday. And you're going to the most, what people mostly assume is the most hostile environment to play in college basketball. And you have a chance to win the game in the last two minutes. Uh, I guess the team has got four or five first-round picks. Uh, this team's good enough, they're tough enough, uh, they're together enough, and uh, hopefully there'll be a whole lot of garnet gold people filling those seats tonight and going forward and uh, helping these guys keep this win streak alive. No question. Stan, give us uh, the information again about how folks can uh, help the, the literacy efforts uh, if they want to make a contribution. Uh, they can go to the website, coachingforliteracy.com, all one word, lowercase, coachingforliteracy.com, and uh, there'll be a tab to click on for Donate, and then you'll go to the Florida State um, little tab they have on there for the Florida State dates. They're going to be uh, raising the money, and they can do it right online. Well, Stan, I don't have a green tie, uh, but I'll be watching you guys wear your green tie. How about that? <laughs> we'll be representing, and we're looking to hopefully make a couple a lot of kids uh, have, uh, better their lives as they you know, go from uh, childhood to adolescence to adulthood. Yeah, you're, you're to be commended for that. It is, it is New Year's, Stan, so as we let you go, what's, what's a book, uh, what's a recommendation for a book that we need to read this year? Uh, that's a great question. I, uh, I've actually just got through, uh, well, not through, I'm actually just starting, uh, uh, a book. I'm about, uh, 20% into it. Radical Candor, which is, uh, how to, how to talk to millennials and, uh, and use your, uh, uh, use yourself as a leader without, uh, going too crazy on people nowadays. It's pretty interesting. All right, Stan. Thank you. That must be a thick book, by the way, how to communicate with, with millennials. <laughs> no question. We'll see you at the talk tonight. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Pretty, pretty important book, though, as, uh, as a guy who makes his uh, living and livelihood uh, working with 18 to 22-year-olds. All right. We'll, we'll let that resonate a bit. We'll come back and react to it on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back. Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. It is uh, the New Year's edition, if you will. Happy Snow Day uh, for those of you who... Uh, How much do you think we got? What would be the accumulation? I've not heard any... You know, judging by the... Uh the way it dumped at my house, I would say uh, maybe a quarter inch. I don't know. <laughs> All I know is I had three of the grandbabies running around like like um, children are likely to run around trying to catch snowflakes with their tongue about 7.10 this morning. Uh, I was uh, in my pajamas and not joining them looking through the dining room mirror, or window rather. That, that's the... the no more visuals. That's all we need right there, KJ. Understood. All right, so the, the news of the day is uh, we, we move back to football, and we appreciate Stan Jones joining us uh, to talk some basketball. Well, first of all, I also uh, appreciate the support that Cornerstone Tool and Fastener brings uh, our way each and every episode. If you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, perhaps you need a snow shovel or, or something to help you with the snow that's on your roof after what I'm not sure today. they carry snow blowers, but I'm sure they could get one. Yes. Uh, they Go talk to Ron and his knowledgeable staff, and they'll tell you how you can de-ice your roof after... Uh, 
what we had happen uh, today for the first time in 28 years in Tallahassee. But two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Online at ctf.nu or call them at 580-1200. What I was going to say is we move back to football. Ryan Izzo announces that uh, he's going pro. Certainly wish him the best. Uh, Had a pretty good game to leave on. Six catches in in, uh, Shreveport. Uh, Got a good body of work. I think, you know, if, if you look at it, uh, he, he wasn't Nick O'Leary, but he was a pre- he was a pretty good tight end, and, and Nick got the benefit of playing with Jameis, and well, and Izzo got you know if you look at Izzo's three seasons, he got Blackman forced into duty, he got a redshirt freshman, and then he got the the, the Golson McGuire year, so he did not have the quarterback play that that O'Leary had in his plus, time. Plus, in all respect to uh, to uh, um, O'Leary, uh, I would grade Izzo a much better blocker. And and that's going to be necessary evil when he gets to the next level as well. Did you know who O'Leary's grandfather was? I, I'm aware that uh, he's a golfer. And, yeah, I was just checking. Uh, I, I thought I'd him, throw that in. I met him the first time in the uh, spring of uh, 2000, excuse me, 19, spring of 1981, when uh, Jack uh, and Nancy came into town when one Steve Nicholas was being recruited by Florida State. I was their, uh, I was their host for that period of time. That's when I, I spent some time with Jack. All right. If, you, if you'd like to know about that. Well, I didn't, but you shared it anyway, so now the whole world knows. Thank or, you. Or at least however many people listen to this show or this podcast. Uh, underclassmen have until January 15th to declare, and there's still some names as we're talking, uh, because we're recording this a little bit earlier in the day, that we haven't heard about yet. Um, I would suggest a couple things. So you have you have the January 15th deadline. That's when you have to declare by. You have the fact that Florida State doesn't come back to school until Monday is when school starts at the university. Uh, Then you have a deadline that Willie Taggart, it's not a deadline, but there is a team meeting on Saturday, and he announced this after the bowl game, that basically is the go home from Shreveport, have fun, but I'll see you back here at this time and place, and you better be focused and ready to start this new era. So I would suggest that 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 might become a deadline for somebody. Well, and what you're saying is embedded in that message, and you were in the room. I was not, but picking up on uh, the 20-plus years that I've heard you explain things, uh, embedded in that message was, all right, you've got a little bit of a taste and a feel for where we're going. Uh, The train is leaving. This is the track that it's on. If you want to leave with the team, you better be there on Saturday wholeheartedly. And if you're not interested in leaving with the team, now would be a good time for you to find another track to get on. Yes, so it's not a deadline, but it might serve as one because, and I don't know what the rules are on, uh, you know, they're not into their off-season conditioning, but they're going to be into the weight room. And if you don't want to be doing the same plan that the team is doing Monday morning at whatever time they're doing it because you're going pro, that might serve as an impetus. So anyway, you know, the guys we're waiting on, I'm I'm interested uh, or – intrigued maybe that McFadden hasn't declared there was so much uh and he did not have a great year by any stretch but it was just the assumption was made that he was going to go pro there were reports before the independence bowl that he wasn't playing uh and then lo and behold there he was playing and and um so I'm curious about that one. Uh, obviously, Demarcus Christmas has announced that he's coming back. Uh, Josh Sweat is gone. So I guess it's McFadden defensively. I can't think of him leaving anybody else. And then it's Tate and Jacquez Patrick offensively. Is, is Nyquan in that conversation at all? I suppose he could be. Because uh, we don't know officially what his reason for, for not participating well, I was, in the I, game I was. Well, I was told it was an injury that, that happened in practice, but... I get your point. I wouldn't think he would be a, much of a pro prospect at this point, but I could be wrong. Well, it's not what we think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's what he thinks. Well, getting McFadden back would be a bonus to me. Now, if. I, if, if he's going to play. If he's willing to, to recommit himself to improving upon his play. He relied entirely too much, entirely too much on his physical abilities and spent very little of any time on technique. I think so I think two things. I think we we got a bad taste in our mouth because he struggled on punt returns. And so I think we've We're jaded a little bit. We carried some of that over We're to assessing the rest of his play. And to be fair, even though the rest of the free world saw it, he wasn't the one that put himself out there to be the starting punt returner for the first two thirds of the season or however long it was. And then uh the, I don't even know what the second point was. I well, the catch it. against Miami. Yeah, that, that sticks in everybody's mind. Be, yeah, and the fact no, that, no, no, here's what and I was the fact say. that you had eight interceptions last year and 
the, the second one, thing I was going to say is that I think he just lost confidence, and it goes to that catch against Miami. So uh, was the technique bad? Yeah. Can he get better? Yeah. But I think it was just, and, and it's a corner, and you played DB. I think it just got into his head. And, and corner, let me clarify one thing, even though it's 40 years after the fact. You didn't play corner. Corner is way different than safety. <laughs> I mean, there is not a I position. gave you an opportunity yeah. to lump yourself no, in there. No, no, I, not even close. Yeah. Not even close. But corner is such a unique and, and different position. <coughs> Pardon me. Particularly mentally. Particularly from a mental standpoint. That uh, That's a pretty good observation on your part. That, that could very well have played into it. Whether he comes back or not, Florida State is going to have plenty of quality DBs next year. To me, they're going to be thin at the linebacker spot a little bit. We don't need to get into this too much. We need to see what signing day looks like, the second signing day and all that. But I am interested to see. I was glad when Christmas announced right after the bowl game that he was coming back. I'd like to think that Tate will. I'd like to see Patrick back, but the reality is there's enough good backs there that if he doesn't come back, I don't really think Florida State well, here, will suffer. Let me go back to one of your earlier points. And I hate to say that because I love the way I you played this year. And, and let me go back to one of your earlier points. It also depends on the defense coordinator and what scheme Coach Taggart is yeah, and that, and, well, and that's in, in terms of the linebackers. Because if they choose to go with the 3-4, I know you can take certain defensive ends and make them outside linebackers. But just in the pure sense of three defensive linemen and four linebackers, Florida State is very short in numbers at the linebacker position. Now, I don't know if it's a chicken or an egg as to what direction they'll go. Uh, that's for minds much bigger and, and smarter than mine to figure out. But that's also part of the equation that, that will be in the mix when we start lining up against Virginia Tech on Labor Day night. Did we hear – Post and and I just got back into town yesterday. Uh, Shreveport to New Orleans and back to Tallahassee yesterday. Did we hear officially what the injury was to Emmett Rice? No, I have not heard anything to it. It, it didn't look good. It did not look good because he's a guy that that would be in line to be a starter. That again, based on appearances after the game, and he was on crutches, you wouldn't think he's going to play in spring. And I, I don't know. Again, I don't know what the injury was there. And I've also heard a couple of updates that were a little different. That DeAndre may not be eligible for spring as well. Whereas. According to the book, that type of patella injury early in the year might make you eligible. So that'll also be interesting. Well, you're using the word way. eligible. You mean from a healing from healing his injury? Standpoint. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, from from, yeah, a, just, from a recovery standpoint. Yeah, just to clarify, and that would uh, and obviously there'll be a quarterback battle that will we'll get interesting here. It, it it'll be fun. It, it, it's going to be a fun time. But uh, right now, we'll, and the obvious thing that I didn't at the start of this segment, Keith, pointing out those deadlines. Yes, you would want to know who your segment coach is going to be. And there's been a lot of rumors. And as we're talking, there's not anything finalized. But Auden Tate would probably like to know if Ron Dugans is going to be his receivers coach. And, and who the offensive coordinator is going to be. Right. If it's whether it's the, the gentleman from Michigan or not. Right. Uh, who's been coach, the run- coach Fry, as it were. Yeah, who's been the run game coordinator there. Thing? And I don't know if he's going to be the – I think he's going to be the OL coach. I don't know that he'd be the coordinator. It, but we don't know. Not be. We, don't, we don't, know. don't know. How about one other conversation piece we'll say for another time? This is probably a conversation for June or July. But uh, Coach Taggart has privately said he wants to move to morning practices. You know, forever, forever Florida State has practiced in the afternoon and the early evening. And uh, that's, that's a monumental change in philosophy going in the mornings. Yeah, it is. There's uh, been some schools who've done it. I mean, Miami has done Miami it. Miami and Duke are the two I know that have done it and stayed with Mi- it. Miami did it to stay out of the afternoon thunderstorms because they haven't had an indoor practice facility. I don't know what Duke's rationale may have been tied to the courses that were available for their students. Well, I can tell you their it, students. it's real simple. Tenured professors do not like teaching at 8 and 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning because you're talking to an adjunct that teaches at 8 and 9 in the morning. Yeah, it feels like an abrupt change, and it is an abrupt change. But I think once you're into that, it, it actually is good. It's like, not that I'm in any position to talk, just look at me. But when you get in a good workout routine, if you knock that thing out first thing in the morning, you're feeling pretty good about things. Uh, uh, I'll leave it at that because I've got nothing to contribute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other the other point, and this may not be the rationale for it, but... Um, as I have mentioned before. Oh, listen to this, folks. If, if you're not paying attention, stop what you're doing. And, and, well, and let's let Mr. Block if express, you have, if you have to, express his parental f- philosophy. If you have to physically exert yourself at 5.30, 6.30, 7, whatever time practice is going to be, are you going to be out and about getting in trouble at midnight or 1 a.m. if you'd like to keep your scholarship and your starting job the next morning? That, that parental advice, according to Mr. Block. That may not have anything to do with Coach Taggart's uh, <laughs> rationale for practice in the morning, but that is a byproduct of it. By the way, you know the two types of people that are out between midnight and 6 a.m.? I'm going to plead the fifth, even though there was a time in my life where I fell into those categories. Criminals and victims. 
nothing good happens between midnight and 6 a.m. Well, I used to work from 3 to midnight in my TV days, so for better or worse, I was out between midnight and 6 a.m. And look how you turned out. I know. You had to change jobs. Explains a lot, doesn't it? Had to change jobs. We'll come back and wrap up this week's edition of Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple of minutes to wrap things up on this uh, snow day edition of Front Row Knowles. Thankfully, thankfully, we're in the uh, warmth of the 97.9 studios here. And uh, the, the heaters... Heat, the are, heat is good here. Yeah. I mean, the, the hot tub served its purpose. To, I mean, they got great facilities here. Nobody's going to knock the facilities here. The sauna and the hot tub. I mean, that's a one-two punch you can't get without. Basketball coming up at the Tuck. Enjoy that game tonight, folks. Congrats to Sue Semrau's squad because they absolutely uh, just destroyed Carolina earlier in this week. And they continue to move up in the polls, having a great season. They're their whole starting lineup is seniors, by the way, if you haven't seen them. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty doggone good team as, uh, as Sue tries to get that squad to the Final Four for the first time in Florida State history. Um, I want to thank uh, Madison Social. Forgot to do this at the top of the program, which is where I normally do it. Many of you uh, may be en route from Madison Social to the Tucker Center, in fact, for the basketball game tonight. But uh, they have been longtime supporters of this program. Uh, if you're looking for a place to celebrate the victory tonight, head back down there to Township, Madison Social, Centrale, whatever it is. Uh, they are the official away game watch spot for Florida State basketball so games, too. So when Florida State defeats Carolina tonight and, and replicates what the women did previously against Carolina, then Sunday... At 6 o'clock, you can be back at Madison Social to watch Florida State take on Miami because that game is in Coral Gables. You'll want to be in Madison Social. There you go. All right. As we, as we finish up, Keith, uh, just over a minute to go. The championship game is Monday night. You and I won't have another uh, show. Not that we need to uh, dissect this for an hour, but who you got? Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Alabama with hesitation. Uh, defenses win championships. I'm going to call you Tim if you hedge your bets. Uh, exactly. I've learned from the best. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, defenses win championships, and I just hadn't seen anybody do to Clemson what Alabama did to Clemson on Monday. And I know Georgia probably has a little more firepower, uh, but I don't think it'll be a 54-48 game, and therefore I think that lends itself to Alabama. Yeah, I'm going Bama in this one too. I'm, I'm taking um... – mentor over mentee i guess you could say with saban over kirby smart as although if, you know at some point one of his assistants is going to beat him and kirby could be uh, that guy as, what, as though, well as anybody but I, would you take wouldn't it be a wonderful problem if you had to pick between chubb and michelle yeah that holy would, cow that would be a good problem you know and we didn't talk about clemson i thought that clemson and you got to credit alabama for this Clemson, to me, the other night looked like a team that had not been on the big stage, even though they'd been on the big stage. And so th- the obvious place where they had a big difference is at the quarterback spot and, I made and, the, and at the receiver spot with Mike Williams. De- Deion Kane and company aren't as talented as, as Williams was. And I made the comment, which you scoffed at, uh, that I thought Kelly was a better college quarterback than Deshaun Watson. And certainly Monday didn't prove my theory clearly well at all. Well, I think what it proves is is just that – and how heard, special how special Deshaun Watson we, is. We heard this about Jimbo, and I know there's angst there, and we don't have time for this whole thing. Well, he's only, you know, he only wins titles when he's got a once-in-a-lifetime quarterback. Like, well, you can say it about Cam Newton, Auburn. You can say it about Deshaun and Clemson. You, Tebow, Florida. Vince Young in Texas. I mean, you can go through the list, and, the you know, now Alabama's an exception to that, but just about everybody else has a special quarterback when they win it, and that's why I just wasn't all in on Clemson. Anyway, we're out of time. Keith, uh, call a good one tonight with Gino, and I will uh, talk to you next week. See you, folks. Thank you.